Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. And here we are. We are having story time. It's story time here on ITSP Magazine, and it's their story with our good friends at High Trust. And a lot of folks might ask the question, who is High Trust? And if they figure that out, they might then ask the question, well, why? <laughs> why, why High Trust? And that's the question we're going to answer today in this story. Uh, there's, there's a lot to keeping a security posture in, in check and meeting requirements around internal policies and regulatory policies and mapping to standards. And there's a lot that goes on to keeping businesses running safely and secure and high trust has a huge hand in helping companies and their teams make that possible. And, uh, I don't know enough about it. The guys on the show know, know all about this and we're going to hear from them. I'm first going to introduce, Michael Parisi, he's the VP of Adoption at High Trust. Michael, it's always good to have you on. Maybe uh, a few words about what you do and then uh, pass the ball to Mike and John. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Sean. No, appreciate being here today for uh, today's story. So, um, as you mentioned, Vice President of Adoption here at High Trust, you know, what High Trust is, is uh, we are a standards organization that's focused on enterprise risk management. And we look to arm the community with a number of different solutions and tools and programs to help them manage risk more efficiently and more effectively, whether that's internally within their own organizations or externally uh, with their stakeholders. I'm joined by two esteemed colleagues of of mine and longtime friends. Um, So I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Uh, Mike, I'll hand it to you first. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. And thanks, Sean. Glad to be here today. Uh, my name is Michael T. Meyer. Mike T. Meyer, I go by. Uh, I'm with uh, Teladoc Health. I'm the Vice President of Risk Enhance. Uh, we're a New York-based company, but we're really a global company. And, and, and we have people all over, I think on six continents right now. Uh, we provide um, uh, really a lifestyle company with devices and services for telemedicine. We have both high-acuity products, low-acuity products. Our companies, the sort of um, the, the, the product of multiple acquisitions as part of our growth strategy, uh, purchasing both Lavongo and InTouch Health uh, last year, and really, really, really rounding out our product portfolio to bring uh, patients and doctors together and devices uh, that uh, allow for uh, uh, telemedicine and uh, a better living. Great. Thanks, Mike. And John? Thanks, Michael. And Sean, it's good to be with you and with Mike as well. I'm, uh, my name is John Oberbaugh. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Alpine Software Group. So we're, we are kind of an investment group, but really what we do is we give founders of vertical SaaS solutions the opportunity to engage with us to develop capital and uh, grow their business with support of, uh, from our, our leadership, both from a business and an IT uh, perspective. Nice one. And clearly, uh, well, maybe not clearly for everybody, but from, from my perspective, uh, both of your organizations are in the business of driving innovation to do some important things for people and, and society. And th- there's nothing more important to us as humans as our health. <laughs> now, John, you probably cover many, many uh vertical sectors. Uh, yep. Mike, you're directly involved in, in healthcare. The point is we're driving technology right to the edge in many cases. And with that comes exposure and with risk. And I'd like to get, get your view first from both of you kind of in, in through the lens of your role at your, at your prospective organizations. How do you enable business growth and innovation and digital transformation while also embracing the realities that, that you have exposure and you have risk that you need to manage. So how do you, to start, how do you balance that? And Mike, I'll go to you first. 
Yeah, uh, the balance is really important. It is, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're many companies coming together as one. So that maturity journey is very, 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 very important to us. Um, you know, we look at risk assessment, solid risk assessment, getting a good understanding of what our roadmap is and what the risks are to that. So building out that risk and control framework is important. But, you know, what, what we did is we found, uh, very, you know, high trust was a very, very good framework. I mean, a, a company could bring in a Deloitte or any of the big, 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 one of the big firms to, to uh, source a solution for them. You know, we found that the, that the high trust framework, because, you know, it allowed us to really, you know, build that, do it ourselves, and then have continuous monitoring of that to ensure that we're living up to those standards on a regular basis. And so, you know, having that vision, uh, ma uh, managing the risk, uh, mapping our risk framework to the high trust requirements, uh, we found was very, very effective to us. We're currently right now in the middle, right smack in the middle of our merging every, all of our companies under one high trust 9.4. And it is really acting as a galvanizing force to help mitigate those risks and mature our company overall. So it's working quite well. John, same to you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, what I always tell uh, founders as well as leaders is it's just as easy to uh, develop a secure company and a secure solution as it is to develop an insecure one. You just need some tools, some process and some skills. And uh, I look to High Trust to develop to help, help us with both those, the process and the skill set that we need um, and some guidance around the tools as well. What I like about it is it's a it's a consistent framework that can be leveraged across multiple organizations. And at the same time, it's right sized for the size and the scope of the organization. So uh, it, it allows large companies and small companies to bring the appropriate amount of security to bear based on their size, as well as the, uh, the, the number of records that they have and other uh, contributing factors to their risk. And Michael, you, you see a, a wide swath of all things uh, in, in business and in, in security and risk management. I mean, every organization is innovating, whether it's a coffee shop trying to deliver the best experience to their, uh, their coffee lovers, or if it's a multinational uh, healthcare provider, insurer, payer conglomerate <laughs> that, uh, that has a lot going on there. How how do you see organizations leveraging high trust to actually enable innovation and enable growth versus the traditional model of risk management, which is don't do that. It, that's going to burn you. Yeah. So I think a lot of organizations are using it um, as a differentiator, right, within the marketplace. Um, now, there, there are certainly some stakeholders that are asking and requiring assurances, right? And when you think about this concept of being able to be transparent from an organizational perspective, that's important to organizations that, that adopt and go down the high trust path, um, you know, such as Mike with, with Teladoc and, and John with, with Alpine. You know, it's important to be transparent relative to your program maturity and posture. Um, you don't want to try and hide anything, right? You want to be proud of what you're doing relative to that innovation and embedding it within the foundation of what you're offering in terms of services and products for sure. But more importantly, when we think about some of the industries that we're operating within, especially healthcare, I mean, the greatest risk is the risk of human life being lost, right? So making sure that the solutions that organizations like Teladoc, Alpine, their portfolio companies are providing, um, it can't get more important than that, right? So they're leveraging high trust as a differentiator, not only relative to winning additional business partners, but relative to how they view the importance of protecting sensitive information and how that helps to address and minimize um, a series of risks, right, that those solutions could introduce in, into the marketplace. If I, if I can uh, kind Thanks, of John. jump on that, um, you know, I've been engaged with High Trust since about 2012 and through a number of organizations. And in each instance, um, as organizations have achieved High Trust certification, that becomes um, almost, almost a selling point. Right. It's a it's a uh, it's an endorsement from a, a recognized third party organization that really contributes to the reputation 
and the brand of the company that that achieves that certification. Uh, and I think that's that's as helpful in many cases as the actual effort and the work to to that we go through to to be certified. Yeah, I'll, I'll add on if I could, uh, Sean. I, I and, and you know what I would say is. Um, we do obviously being a large company with you know a global company. There's lots of RFPs that come our way, right? We have a hospital and health healthcare systems group, and those RFPs, we have an entire team that works in those. They can be very, very onerous. Believe me, they are always. Can give me the latest high trust certification? How are we doing in high trust? Because they realize that during an RFP, we may have to turn in 400 documents to prove our worthiness. Or we turn in a one-page document that says that we're high trust certified, and that high trust certified is now to the point is actually written into contracts, and it and it carries a lot of weight out there. And so, you know, we look at that as being very much part of our business strategy to be high trust certified, and it certainly saves us, uh, we think, a lot of time, money, and effort by having that distinct uh, and, and very prestigious because it has been, I think, really recognized in the industry because there is so much rigor to it. And it does cover so much to what Michael was saying. It covers such a wide swath of the 19 control domains that are there that they know that everything's been looked at and there are no dark shadows or places to hide. It's all transparent and it's out there. That's right. And I definitely want to get into uh, the, the transparency and, and the level of trust that, that comes with this as well. But before we do that, I want to get Back to the beginning, because um, what we're saying sounds lovely, and we're gonna we're gonna expand upon the, the value and the benefits of being high trust certified. Was that your original vision when you embarked? And John, you have multiple experiences. Mike, sure. I'm interested in, in your history and path and journey. Um, but what was the original vision? Was the was it to differentiate or grow the business, or was it? Just because um, somebody said you had to be high trust certified, what was it? I think it's a it's a combination of several things. So uh, across the years, as we've worked with organizations, one one benefit that we noticed with high trust is it is a common security framework. That's what they call it, common security framework. Um, it's a framework that uh, helps me get compliance, but at the same time security, because we all know the two can be mutually exclusive. It's also a bar to measure ourselves by. So as an organization, um, you know, there's there's a couple of tacks we can take on, on security. One is to just kind of randomly throw some controls out there that we're going to go for and hope we get good coverage. One is to go look through all of the variety of control frameworks out there and try to select and right size the framework to what we need to do. And then finally, we can turn to high trust. They've done that deep thinking. First of all, they've brought HIPAA together with other common control frameworks, such as ISO 27,002, uh, the NIST CSF, and so forth. So what, what what I've always liked about high trust is that that rationalization has taken place for me already. Next, when I go through the scoping exercise, it takes care of all those scoping decisions on our behalf. Now, we can always go back and justify changes to the scoping um, and add in uh, controls if we feel they're necessary. But what's nice is that it's customized for us by a third party who's already done that thought leadership. And so therefore that tailoring is recognized by other bodies, including our customers. So to, it's, it's an efficient way to get to a good control set that's appropriate for my company's size and risk. And then finally, it's, um, it isn't just an arbitrary list of controls. There's a, a lot of guidance included in the common security framework, which helps when we're implementing controls and when we're doing internal evaluations of our controls, it's very clear whether or not a control is going to pass uh, the requirements. Um, I like to, t I, I work a lot in the agile world. We talk about definition of done, which gives clarity on, okay, we're finished. And that's what I think the Hydra's framework gives me is that definition of done for my control set. Finally, what I like is I can wrap all of that up and I know that my customers understand what I've done. And so, so really, Sean, our motivation in all through all, both as a consultant with clients, as well as a leader in, in various businesses, the motivations are multiple, but really it comes down to having a good, clear framework, having a framework that's right sized to my organization and having a certification that's recognized by my clients and provides value to them and value to us from a sales and marketing perspective. 
Yeah, I'll just add on to that. I, I think where our journey is, again, being the, the company that's a product of multiple acquisitions, depending on what legacy company that, that we're talking with, I think initially it was done in some of the legacy companies because there was a customer expectation. Uh, as we have grown, as we're now merging and becoming what we call a one teledoc company, uh, as opposed to these siloed companies that are out there, it has been passing experience for me to use this as a galvanizing force to really bring our company together in a really meaningful way. When you look at things like the policy and procedure, a lot of people, I think a lot, there's a misconception for some folks who are just, or companies who are just getting into high trust, that this is an information security program. It's really anything but. It is a cultural transformation program of your entire company. There are 19 domains. It, uh, it involves InfoSec and IT, of course, but a lot of people don't realize it involves HR, training, facilities, quality control. You've got your compliance organization, your risk, your tax organization, BCDR, legal. I, I mean, there are so many work streams where it touches uh, I mean, it, that it, it really does bring the entire company together and then goes, as, as John said, there's, it's that common security framework, CSF. It, it really acts as that galvanizing force for us to become one company. Uh, this was a, a, High Trust was a major driver for us taking all the legacy companies and ensuring that we didn't have siloed policies and procedures. A lot of people entering High Trust don't realize that policies and procedures are a, a huge part of your scoring, uh, not just the implementation piece of it. So, so bringing those together, you know, this acted as a catalyst for having a single platform for policies and procedures and, and really integrating those to ensure they had all of the high trust components in there and not just bringing them into our policies and procedures, but having the implementation part of it as, as well. Yeah, and Sean, if I can add on to that, you know, I think um, Mike's comments and, and John's comments are in line with the true spirit of the programs that, that we have in place. You know, there are certainly use cases where some organizations decide to go down the high trust path because they're contractually required, right? Or somebody asks them to, to do that. However, I think organizations that do that are missing out on the intrinsic value of the adoption cycle from a program perspective. And that includes things that, that Mike and John were, were talking about, right? I think it instills a sense of ownership across the organization relative to information security, of course, data, um, but also you know, how seriously the organization takes collaboration on, on, on initiatives. Yeah. And so if we bring it back to the people, right? It really helps to instill that it's a catalyst. I think to some of Mike's comments, there's no avoiding it. Right. Mm -hmm. When we think about all these compliance and, and security activities, as, as John mentioned, that he's seen for so many years, many organizations try and silo those and say, oh, well, that's the privacy office's responsibility right. or that's the information security responsibility or maybe it's legal or, or, or procurement. Um, but the way that we've structured the programs say that's not reality. Right? If you're not working together as a group across all of those silos, breaking down those walls, then do you really have a true sense of ownership from an organizational perspective, um, which is ultimately what's going to help the, the ecosystem. Right? So that's the true spirit of the programs. You know, also, I would tell you, remember, before me coming here, I've been here about four and a half years, 22 years in professional services, right? all, all big four. Um, you know, what, what I've seen is that organizations fail to recognize the ability to rationalize um, how much they're doing as it relates to security and privacy, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you look at all these standalone audit efforts that are out there, and we have so much audit fatigue, it's so expensive, and not only in terms of dollars, but in terms of time, mm -hmm. that it's taking away from our strongest, most important people within our organizations, Right. They have to take their eye off the ball and delivering value and delivering to bring it back to the beginning, as you said, the innovative services, right, that we're trying to bring to market. So how do you use something like high trust to minimize the impact that that's having on your stakeholders holistically across the organization? That's really the value. Right. Let's rationalize where we're spending our time at the same time being responsive at the highest level from a transparency perspective to our stakeholders. Yeah, I'll just add on to that if I could, Sean, is that 
Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see where high trust is falling in organizations. Like I said, I think that would plop on the, CI, the, the, C, the CIO or the CISO's desk. I sit in legal and I run risk and compliance. And so, you know, you're finding that because it, it really broadens the such a wide area that it covers. And like, and, and I, I always say to people, you don't become high trust, you, you don't become high trust certified, you really become a high trust company. And that's really the way I think people have to look at it. And, um, you know, overall, we also find that we are, as a company, are pursuing FedRAMP. FedRAMP is a big deal. Uh, we, and obviously we're ISO 27001. Uh, you know, obviously doing this work, uh, because it, the, 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 there's so much similarity and if you did a Venn diagram, they'd overlap very nicely. We find that high trust is the leader as the cat and acts as the catalyst for us to ready ourselves for those other audits and certifications as well. And we repurpose those throughout the cycle. Yeah. And I want to take this opportunity because it was, and as we were preparing for this, John, we, we touched on this idea of that there's, there are things that organize with this bring bring it back to the innovation. Mm-hmm. There are things businesses do. They regardless of what it is, they're building something, either right. a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And you just talked about being agile and knowing when you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, companies rally multiple teams to build those things. And those right. things have support from other parts of the organization. If you're going to sell something, you have to have a contract. So you need legal, right? If you're going to support it, you have to have systems and tools to enable customers. Yeah. There's a whole infrastructure within the business to support whatever it is you're building. You, you don't leave parts out, right? Mm-hmm. And and you don't just ship stuff without quality. And, you, and right. when, you, when you're all engaged, deliver, working toward a common goal, people feel excited when you reach that end, when you're done, yeah. as you said, John. Yep. So talk to me a little bit about how you relate a high trust program yeah. in, in the context of something organizations might recognize more, yeah. more uh, freely in, in terms of like a product delivery. Uh, yeah, I think like it's very that. similar. I mean, I've been building software since 1995, right? And, and there are big pushes when you build a software application, right? There are, there are times where it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, I'm, no one's going to hide the fact on this call that the, the bar that's set with high trust is appropriately high. And it does take, as Mike has mentioned, it takes cross-organizational support and effort to get it done. Um, but that payoff is, is fantastic, right? So when that letter certification shows up and as the high trust point of contact, you know, CISO or, or privacy officer or risk officer, whoever it is, when you get to forward that off to the leadership team in your organization and say, we did it. We've, we've hit that bar. We've earned our certification. That's a great feeling and see that go across the whole company. Um, and, uh, you know, everything worth anything, uh, requires a significant amount of effort, I would say. Um, but, uh, it's, it's worth it in the end. Yeah. I'll just add on to that, getting that certification because it does take a lot of work. It, it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it is, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, we have 500 requirements, 72 control, uh, um, uh, um, um, controlled in uh, areas and 19 don't. It's a lot of work to ensure that we have, you know, that we're operating a high degree of um, efficiency there. But with that, when, because of that, once that's accomplished and, and you do, to John's point, you, you know, because it tells everybody in the company, you let them know that there is a major sense of accomplishment, a lot of high fives, virtual and, and in person. Not in the last few years of COVID, but virtual <laughs> high fives were going on. So it's good, it's great. And I want to use this opportunity, Michael, um, to talk about, uh, I think John used the word right size, Mm -hmm. um, because there is a level of effort and depending on the size of your organization and the exposure you have, the the risk you have in terms of how many records you hold, you want to protect or systems that are critical that need securing. Whatever is the right scope should be the scope and the quality sh- around that scope shouldn't change, but the, the scope changes. Right. And so I'm wondering, I, I know you've at high trust, you've put a scalable, I'm probably not going to describe it properly, but a scalable program in place such that organizations along their journey can grow and, and reach higher levels of certification uh, mapped better to their, their, 
yeah, their risk level through risk tolerance and, and requirements from a security posture perspective. So yeah. I'm probably botching that completely. So that's why I'm going to hand the ball to you now to, to kind of describe what, what you offer to help find that right sized uh, model. Oh, you didn't botch it totally. That's that's pretty good. I mean, so it goes back to the journey, right? The concept of, of the journey. So um, the journey of transforming an organization, the journey of maturing programs over time, right? When you think about some of the organizations like John John is, is working with, um, you know, a lot of them are startups, right? And they have a great idea with an innovative solution and oftentimes having a good security and privacy program. Um, is not the first thing on their list and, and for, for a number of different reasons, right? They're focused on getting their solution built and out to the marketplace. So what, what we've really done with our assurance portfolio or our assurance continuum, right, as you're, as you're speaking about it, Sean, is to design really some new mechanisms to allow organizations to have um, an assurance platform in which would result in, in a report that aligns to the level of risk that they introduce to their stakeholders. Traditionally, we've been what I would say is a one trick pony, right? We've got the highest bar in the marketplace, like an evoluted, which results in a significant emotional event to, to go through that, right? Um, but the market's been asking us for quite some time to say, look, not all, all organizations are created equal. Not all offerings are created equal. So if you can figure out a way to align the required level of assurance I need to provide to stakeholders to the level of inherent risk I introduce, wow, you would nail it, right? So one of the things that we've worked on um, over the last several months with feedback from our, our stakeholders and our partners like John, like Mike, is to say, if you could right-size those assurance mechanisms driven off of risk, um, then you would have so much more adoption and better use cases from an organizational perspective. So, for example, for those uh, listeners that may not have seen some of our most recent um, releases around the expansion of our assurance portfolio. You know, we've introduced a, a new certification that we refer to as the I-1, right? That's a lighter lift in terms of the level of effort than our traditional certification that is now named the R2, but it has its place, right, within the ecosystem because it still provides high levels of assurance, but maybe the scope, to your point, has been scaled down to what's most relevant for those organizations. And the same thing with, with our basic assessment. The other thing that we've done when you speak to uh, right-sizing it, you know, there's not only right-sizing it relative to the risk, there's right-sizing it relative to what you need to provide insight over. For example, um, maybe the most important relevant thing if we're looking at a relationship with an organization as a relying party is to understand the cyber threats and risks first and foremost. You know, all these things around having good security and privacy programs and do you have appropriate policies and procedures and are you measuring and managing your program, that's all important. And those are all things that we wanna know. But if you don't have MFA in place or if you don't have controls in place to address ransomware and phishing, dead on arrival, right, as far as I'm concerned in terms of working with that organization. So to get insight into not only how an organization has built their program, but probably first and foremost, how they're addressing relevant cyber threats is really important, especially in today's day and age. And so again, if you look at some of the assurance mechanisms that we've designed, which you know, John, maybe I'll ask you to, to comment on this because I know we've spent yeah. a lot of time looking into the structure and the design mm -hmm. of, of the I-1. That's yep. that's what we've tried to do with the expansion of our portfolio. And I was going to say, I want to steal the ball from you on that. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm really passionate about this because, you know, look, healthcare is both at, at a kind of at a crossroads, right? One, there's a state of disaster in healthcare, right? Just the cost of healthcare is spiraling. And um, the way, uh, especially Americans care for themselves is, is uh, in, in a sorry state. At the same time, we stand on the edge of this amazing technology and all of this opportunity. There is no way that we're gonna solve these problems without those opportunities and those technologies. 
But as Michael mentioned, one of the challenges is a lot of the smaller startup companies where most of the innovation is taking place, they will struggle to get into a full high trust assessment and a full certification because maybe they haven't even been in business long enough. Their primary uh, goal getting out of the gate was to prove their technology worked, not just in a lab environment, but with a customer and so forth. This is what I like about the I-1 because the I-1 allows companies to focus on security, kind of where the rubber hits the road, right? So less of an emphasis on process and procedure and documentation, much more of an emphasis on actual implementation and not just tailored to the scope of the company, but also tailored to the current threat landscape. So as Michael mentioned, there'd be some conversations in that certification around, you know, your ransomware protection and so forth. So this is what I love about it because it's that enabler. As, as large organizations look to the smaller companies for that innovation, there is a fear, right? I can't bring this innovation in-house or I can't trust them with my data if they don't hit this security bar and they don't necessarily hit the Hytra security bar yet. But yet with the I-1, that, that's a right-sized opportunity. And that allows me as a stakeholder, you know, when I'm looking to partner with someone, uh, that allows me to understand, hey, these guys are at a, at a pretty good point. Um, and a third party has done that, that validation for me instead of, you know, just an attestation or a questionnaire. So that's why I'm really, I'm, I'm quite excited about the I-1 and, and the, the effort and impact it'll have on the innovative companies that, that need that opportunity to have a, a kind of a step up first. Yeah. John, I think I, I actually was, I was quite struck by your comment when we last spoke, you referred to it as an on-ramp. Yeah, to, yep. to, uh, to, uh, uh, high trust, which I thought was really, really appropriate way to do. Yeah. That's a good point, as, yeah. As, as a larger company, you know, we look at the R2, right? So it's mm -hmm. not, we want to, we want to go for the R2. Yep. It's, it's right for us in our maturity level. And yep. also because of our size, we don't want to be in this, uh, unless a continuous cycle of getting that yep. certification. But I think you're right to having, you know, companies who are doing great innovation and they need that is a great on-ramp to your point. Yep. And, and to Michael's point, <clears throat> excuse me, to Michael's point earlier uh, about the, the value beyond just getting the certification, that there is a process. And I want to talk to you, both of you and John and Mike, mm -hmm. about what it feels like to go through the process of on-ramping, on mm -hmm. onboarding, and, and achieving that success. Um, I think, Mike, you talked about the team being galvanized uh, around the effort. So talk to me a little bit about the culture that comes with the process beyond that, that, that takes place before the, the actual certific certificate. Yeah. Yeah, I will. It's great. And so obviously I have to say the, my CSF tool, the high trust, my CSF tool is fantastic. And we use that as our first basis. It, it really is the first thing we do. We, we scope everything out. We make sure that we, and then we get that output Excel sheet and from that Excel sheet that said, these are your requirements. And we have give or take 500 requirements that are in there, as I mentioned, in you know, 72 control families and the 19 domains that everyone would have. What we start to do is the first thing we start to do is we start to data model. Now, there's a very good rubric that's in there for scoring. And, mm -hmm. and what I think a lot of people don't understand with high trust is high trust is based on, on an average score as opposed to getting 100% on everything. Obviously, we strive for 100% on everything. We want 100% everything and that's and that's what our goal is but the ultimate score is there there there's a rubric there that allows you to pass which means that you can have some highs and lows so the first thing we do is we you using that rubric and really the, uh, the the maturity scale is we forecast what our current mature maturity is on every single requirement all 500 of them so we data model it and then we look at what we need where we need to raise the bar and on all 500 of those. And we build a data model that shows what our passing score will be and figure out those averages there. From that point on, we, we build a plan. Uh, we pull all the work streams together. And I think I've got 14 work streams right now. I think it'd be, it's, it's 14 overall that are working on this and doing their part to, it's not just about pulling artifacts. It's really about you know ensuring that we've got the right policies, the right procedures, and have we implemented to a high degree of sophistication and we project manage that out and we report on it with full transparency to every every stakeholder in the company uh every business leader gets that dashboard it shows where we are on our on our journey we have a glide path to make sure we're hitting all of our milestones 
Um, I love the fact that the high trust now has an audit window that you can reserve in advance. You didn't used to have that, which is great. And so that's all done. And, and we make sure that we measure and monitor every step of the way and that there's good QC on those artifacts that are coming in. Because obviously when you have your third-party audit organization, uh, and it's important to have a good 3PAO, a good third-party audit, audit organization that works well with you, uh, they are going to uh, put us to the rigor of ensuring that they're doing the audit that takes place before they submit to high trust. So we make sure that they're, I think having the transparency, having the, uh, the, the planning in advance, making sure that we've got great uh, internal tools and processes and that we are in parallel uh, managing everything uh, to ensure that by the time we submit, we are very predictive to what our outcome is going to be. And that works very well for us. I'm a, I'm kind of a simple guy, so I like to find analogies in my life. And, uh, you know, um, I, I do a lot of uh, endurance uh, athletic events and things like that. And one of the toughest things I've ever done physically is climb Mount Rainier in Washington State. And, you know, I liken that high trust engagement to be very much like climbing Mount Rainier. So, you know, I'll train and prepare um, physically for that climb. I'll also train on my climbing skills and mountaineering skills and so forth. And, and yet, while you're going through that process, you're still learning at the same time. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, as Mike mentioned, that third-party assessor, they're a partner for us. Uh, whenever I'm doing that high-trust assessment, I have that partner in there. There's a lot, of, a lot of question and answer opportunity, a lot of, hey, this is what we, um, this is how we implement this control. What do you think about the effectiveness of this? Um, and, and, and there's give and take and there's learning that happens all through the process. And I think that's really what it is, is it's a process, it's a growth process that happens kind of year over year as we go through those assessment uh, experiences. So it, it does tend to lift the company um, on a recurring basis. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the high trust program is that it isn't a one and done thing. You're certified once, uh, you have an interim certification, which may not be the significant scope that your first certification would be, but then every other year, you continue to recertify on all of your controls and you rescope. So you may have new controls that get introduced on those new years. So um, there's there's sort of this continual improvement uh, and process improvement aspect that comes with the high trust certification. Yeah, I, I actually love that analogy about climbing Mount, Mount Rainier, something I've always wanted to do, by the way. Haven't haven't done it yet. I, I'll get there someday. <laughs> um, but uh so it, it, I think what happens also, just to kind of add on to what you're saying, I think you kind of blaze a path up that mountain as well. Yeah. And yep. I had a, I had one of our technology executives just tell me last week, he said, this is so much easier the second time around. Because I think you've yeah. really laid the foundation for all that mm -hmm. and there's an expectation. So if you're new at it, it's going to seem very, very foreign and difficult mm -hmm. because you're looking at everything. But I think once you go through it and you really mature your company, and as I mentioned earlier, and I think Michael validated, there's no place to hide. There are no places to hide in, in, in a high trust uh, certification. Mm -hmm. It's very transparent. And then once you, you know, there's, uh, there's no workarounds. And once you get that, your company, you are elevating your company. Mm -hmm. So I think the climbing is uh, quite apropos to say that, you know, because mm -hmm. of elevation. And um, from that point on, I think it sets expectations of what people can expect. And you get into that more that continuous monitoring where right. no one wants it to be a fire drill next time. They, or they don't want to be inventing why, the, why we're already in flight, so they're preparing in advance. And it really changes the culture. I think by changing the culture of the company, we also do good you know, externally to the communities. Yeah. I think, yeah. Also, I think it also lends to secure by design. Right. So as you've gone through one or two of these certification processes, pe people start to think when they're developing a new project, they start to think about well, what are the high trust requirements going to be around what I'm trying to accomplish here. Right. So so that's it's it starts starts to really, uh, as you've said, Mike, it starts to infuse itself in the corporate culture and in the culture of design and growth. I yeah. actually can tell you right now, I didn't mean to interrupt, Michael. Pardon me. If you just give me one no, more. Give me one minute. I, I am invited to more meetings. I say, why am I invited to these meetings over the past <laughs> six months? It's because people want to know how, what do we need to take into consideration for high trust here? Yeah. And so that's a culture shift. And that's what I mean about this becomes a cultural shift to how your company operates. It's yeah. just some sort of, uh, you know, certification fire drill exercise. It really is. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I couldn't, um, agree more and to comment on 
you know, one of the one of the things that Mike you you mentioned, there's no place to hide. You mentioned culture shift. Um, you know, John, all, all of your comments. You know, I think an, an important thing to note, as you gentlemen know, um, in in adopting and going down the high trust path. You are subscribing, I want to bring it back to transparency, Sean. So you're subscribing to this idea of transparency. Not only what are you doing within your own organization, but what's going on with your business partners and your yeah. third parties, right? So this concept of no place to hide, I really like that, Mike, is, you know, when, when you look at a lot of assurance mechanisms that exist out there, the way that organizations provide responses to information security questionnaires or or tell their customers or their stakeholders well this is what i do and this is what i own but here's all this other stuff that impacts when i'm providing you that some other service provider or vendor mm -hmm. has their hands in on by going down the high trust path you're changing to mike's point the culture to say we own the risk Whoever we decide to work with in order to deliver this solution from a third party and from a vendor standpoint, that's on us, right? We could certainly enter into certain business relationships from a capability standpoint, um, but we're not going to tell our customers that we have no responsibility from a diligence perspective in terms of who we decide to work with. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Because one of the biggest problems we see, I think we would all agree in the marketplace today, I was just talking to the, the president of AHA this morning. <clears throat> he said, Mike, you know what our biggest problem is in talking to 5,500 hospital systems? Vendors. 86% of the issues that they had over the last year is that there's an issue with their vendors, not them, not their own shop. So getting transparency into not only our vendors, but what are those vendors doing with their vendors is super important, right? Um, so I think it's changing this, this culture of, well, we can just carve that out or we can outsource the service, which means we outsource the risk. And like mm -hmm. I see you nodding because I know as being a risk guy, um, we yep. always the risk, right? So that, right. That, that's there's a lot of intrinsic value in adopting and following the high trust programs relative to that. Yeah, we are 100% accountable for whatever we're bringing into what I call our authorizational boundary, right? For that, how we operate, we're accountable for that. I think, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of follow up on that, really what Michael's referring to here is there is an entire domain dedicated to vendor management. So the, it, it, is, it is a significant uh, um, portion of what's examined when, when we're assessed by a high trust assessor. And we need to show diligence, not just in, you know, contracting with vendors, but also showing that we're do, doing the appropriate diligence with questionnaires and follow up and managing open risks to, to closure. And, you know, the other thing that I really like about high trust that contributes to this is the fact that, you know, there are numerous assessors that are, are uh, qualified to be high trust assessors but you get the same results. It's very consistent from one assessor to another across the company or across the Hydra certification, if you want to call it that, right? So if I have 15 vendors and they're all assessed by a different high trust assessor, the fact is that I have the same level of confidence in each one of those vendors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sean, I, I know, good, sorry, Mike, I know a hot, a hot topic right now is ESG, right? So when you think about... <laughs> Um, again, the responsibility that organizations have, um, you know, a lot of those requirements in the process of adopting high trust gets to some of those aspects, right? I mean, they recognize they have a responsibility around diligence in terms of what they enter into their, their ecosystem, what's allowed to enter into that ecosystem, as Mike alluded to before. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, and I, I actually find, you know, as the business continuity disaster recovery domain has grown, I mean, that it's really started to look at more social governance stuff, stuff as well that's out there. And um, I, I think I, I went through something just recently, one of the requirements where we have to be aware of our real estate locations of other businesses that are around us that can have an impact in our buildings. And so, so when you think about the expansion of the thought process there, you, know, you scratch your, you, some, someone new to this may say, well, what does that got to do with anything? It's outside the walls of my building. But in reality, it's looking at, you know, the environment we operate in and are we aware 
of, of what's happening outside the four walls of the building and, and the four walls of our business as well. I think to me, as, as we kind of get close to the end here, um, it, it's, I mean, I've heard it a few times now, you have nowhere to hide. And to me, if you're trying to hide, that, that's kind of the wrong stance. Um, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather, and I, I think Mike probably speak to this from the ecosystem perspective, but I'd rather us demonstrate that we do care and that we are taking action and we're, we're owning and taking responsibility for the risk that we have and the exposure that we have as a collective ecosystem, right? Yeah. Not just one entity in, in the, in the uh, chink of armor. So how, how do you see kind of like the, the closing question here? How, how do you see your path moving forward with high trust where perhaps you're able to achieve even bigger and better things now because you're not overburdened with third-party questionnaires. You're not overburdened with wrong sized uh, assessments. You're not over stressed about audits that you're going to fail because you haven't taken the time. Uh, Mike, I know we you had another uh, company who had a, an audit come in and, and they said, well, we, we don't know how to get that scope or we don't know how to get that, that information that the way the auditor wants. And they, and they then turned to the MyCSF and, and they were able to draw that line around that scope exactly how that auditor wanted. It, it turned from a dread moment to a thank goodness we'd done the work and we just needed to draw, draw the line around the, the scope for this so we can move on and actually get back to doing business. So the question to Mike and John, then maybe the final word from you, Michael, at the end, what's the future hold for you, for your business where high trust can help you actually achieve even bigger and better things for your business, your customers, and potentially even uh, society. Yeah. I'll, I'll go and go first uh, if that's okay. I, I, it's important to us, and I think it goes back to what we said earlier. Why, one of your first questions: Why, why high trust? Because you have to, or because you want to. And we are in that place at Teladoc as we want to. And obviously, there's there's a value to that to our customers and to our products or our services, but most importantly to our maturity. So having a solid maturity, I call it a maturity framework, right? It's a risk and control framework. It's a maturity framework, but it covers a lot of, a lot of different types of framework. You know, being able to measure and elevate our scoring and become better and better and predictive to recycle those results in a continuous monitoring program. So building out a CONMON where it's, it's even though we're in a two-year cycle, we don't feel like we're starting from ground zero every two years, right? It, it, is, it is very, very systematic. Uh, as we become a FedRAM company, which we're heading down that path, and as we look at ISO 27001 and other certifications that have a Ben overlay to that, it's capitalizing on that, but using really uh, the high trust certification as the base, and then uh, managing and monitoring that you know, throughout that cycle to ensure that we can grow as a company, benchmark ourselves as a company, build continuous monitoring, and be very predictive and our outcomes and elevate our company to be a better, more mature company. You know, here. I'll, I'll answer more from the, the, the consultant and leader perspective in me than just John as a CISO, right? I mean, I think all companies as, as they move through the high trust proce uh, process, I think they have that opportunity to look forward to a future where things are predictable, where things are transparent, um, I know that the high trust organization is working very hard behind the scenes to push the recognition of the high trust brand and the certification so that that third party work is more easily performed. So I think organizations that really engage with high trust and adopt it as their framework are, are going to find number one, they have a more rational approach to information security. It's spread throughout their culture across their organization um, they're not the ones that have to spearhead and kind of beat people to, to get involved, but the whole company adopts it. And I also think companies can see lower friction and lower barriers of entry in that, that vendor partner relationship. And really, to me, this, this sort of moves the needle for me from this is a vendor to this is a partner. Because, you know, these organizations have the same level of care around security as my organization might. So I really see, you know, it's, it's, it's still a lot of effort. But I think from a business strategy perspective, this is really where the rubber hits the road. That 
Um, it furthers our corporate strategy. It furthers our opportunities and it reduces friction in moving forward and taking advantage of those opportunities in the future. It's not, not often when you can get the strategy rubber to hit the road. <laughs> that's for sure. That's, that's <laughs> a difficult thing to do. And if this helps with that, that's, uh, that's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Michael, final, final thoughts from you on this. Um, maybe maybe a, an industry-wide perspective on some trends you're seeing and uh, across organizations taking this journey and and uh, experiencing the value of, of high trust. Yeah, it's all about how you think, right? Um, it's funny, back in my professional services days, we'd get people that come in with English majors and you know and anything outside of, of accounting and sometimes those were your best hires because it was all about how how they thought right so i think as you've heard from from mike and and, and from john and from a number of organizations um how are they thinking about this concept of transparency and protecting um sensitive information and to benefit the overall ecosystem um, so you got to change your thought process. I think we, we've heard that today, right? We own it. Um, we own it as individuals. We own it as organizations. And we owe it to society to make sure we're handling this correctly. And we're doing it in the most efficient and effective way possible. Um, so I think those are the thought leaders like John, like Mike, that that you'll see um, emerge from other industries and try and figure out um, again, what's the best way to to address this and make sure that we're doing our appropriate diligence to all of our stakeholders within the community as it relates to protecting that sensitive information. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And have, having built uh, or brought to market hundreds of products in my uh, in my past, I know how powerful it can be to uh, to rally an organization behind something that matters. Right. And, and the feeling that you get when you achieve what you want to achieve. And I think taking responsibility and, and looking at risk uh, in the ways we talked about today matters. Right. It, it matters to the business partners. It matters, matters to the customers. And as you pointed out, Mike, it matters to society. We, we want a healthy, happy, safe society. And, and all this plays a role in that. So Indeed. I love it. Well, we are at time here. Uh, I'm sure we could all keep going with, with some more examples, but I want to take this moment to thank you, John and Mike, for uh, sharing your insights with us and, and why high trust is important for you. Uh, very different perspectives, uh, and I'm sure many of your points resonate with different folks for different reasons. Michael, it's always great to have you on the show and, and good to chat with you. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm big into risk, which is kind of nerdy and we can talk about <laughs> this forever. And I'm, I'm thankful we had this opportunity to, to chat about this today. Great. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. And there will be notes in the, uh, in the post for this show notes, which will include some links to some of the things we talked about. Certainly the I one and the R two and, and any other resources John and, and Mike and Michael uh, feel would be helpful for folks to start and or continue their journey down the high trust uh, framework path. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next Their Story. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you for listening.